You are listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, part of the Tokyo Beat Podcast Network. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. But I've got to finish packing. You get me up to full throttle, then throw me into reverse. You could damage my engine that way. Look, we'll be in Rome tomorrow. We'll have three days. Try a little patience. Or a cold shower. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. They are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your host of best that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast. The Sequel Cast is a podcast that looks at movies in a franchise one film at a time. The themes on you just heard is by Mark with the C, and we're a proud member of the Battleship Retention podcast fleet. Check out other great film and TV podcasts at battleshipretention.com, and you can donate to the show at sequelcast.com slash donate. So what we're doing now is we are starting a new franchise of films. We're kicking uh, things off this week with uh, the original Airport film, simply titled Airport, released in 1970, directed by George Seaton, based off the novel by Arthur Haley. And uh, also, the screenplay is written by the director, George Seaton. I'm Matt. With me is Thrasher. Hello, everybody. And uh, did you know Airport won an Academy Award? Yes, yes, I did. That's this very film surprising. was a huge <laughs> success. No, it was um, absolutely a huge hit. It was the, uh, the number two film of 1970. Uh, number one was uh, Love Story. But yeah, and it is appropriate to call this movie Airport because it spends more time with the airport than it does with the plane that's in crisis. Yeah, the film's over halfway over until it. Uh, yeah, the plane actually takes off. So, no, I mean, actually, what did you think I, I made, of, I made uh, a note airport? of that. The plane does not take off until roughly an hour and twelve minutes into this movie, and it's about. And that's a that's like a little bit past the halfway point. I just can't believe that Helen Hayes won for Best Supporting Actress as Mrs. Ada Quonset. And, and all, all I could think that entire thing was, I hate Quonset. I think it's more of like the equivalent of like a Lifetime Achievement Award. Because she started on like uh, on the stage and was in theater and was real famous on Broadway and had been in film since the 30s. Oh yeah, and and you could you could see it. She had a lot of confidence. Well, there's certainly a few twinkles in her eye. But is this the first time you've seen Airport? Uh, I had. I well, actually going into it, I wasn't sure. But watching it, I recognized enough of the film. I think I saw this as a late night movie uh, sometime in the early '90s. Okay. I had seen this a while ago, just because it was on Netflix. Watch instantly, and I decided to watch it. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's sort of the mother of, of all disaster movies. Yeah, it's got, it's got all the earmarks. It's got, a, uh, it's got a crisis. It's got people discussing the crisis. It's got lots of characters that are laid in. 
Although that's something I really appreciated about this film, and I appreciate this with a lot of older films. It's not afraid to take its time to establish all these characters and to establish what is normal for this world so that the crisis can have that much more impact when it happens. Yeah, you do spend time with uh, with the characters in this one. You and it, I, I like how you get to see, and the book is like this too. I've just read, only had a chance to read the first hundred pages of the book or so. But the book goes into much more of like the technical details of how the business of an airport works. Well, you know, I really, I, I got that too. Like w- watching watching this, I felt like I was getting a like a tutorial or watching a documentary about a day in the life of a major airport. Yeah, because of the, the three main characters, you have George Kennedy as Joe Petroni, who's the chief mechanic for Trans World Airlines. And you kind of get the point of view of the mechanic, how he deals with things in a crisis. And then the, the I guess the closest thing to a lead is Burt Lancaster as Mel Bakersfield, who's the airport manager. And then you get Dean Martin as Vernon Demarest, who's the, the captain on the main flight of the film. Oh, yeah. And so you see from those three different points of views what they do in a, in a crisis. I mean, you certainly, I mean, watching this the way airport security is now, um, coming back to watch this film, it's... You kind of have well, to, it's certainly a time capsule. You described it that way on Twitter, Thrasher, and I think yeah, right. I said it, it was, and, and it really is a, a time capsule. Like l- like looking at this movie, like oh wow, there was an era where people wanted to fly. Like I don't I don't know anyone who wants to fly. Everyone I know who flies now, it's an act of desperation because they can't arrange any other kind of travel plans. And I'm the same way. If I could. If I had a, a, a good long-haul car and could drive anywhere I wanted to, to go, uh, I would just drive everywhere and damn the expense. I cannot stand flying. Is it because of the security procedures? Do you not like it in airplanes when you take off and land? or? Well, just from beginning to end, it's a thoroughly unpleasant experience. It's unpleasant at best, and it's dehumanizing at worst. I don't mind airports so much, but... I confess to not liking it right before they land. And a few times I've been on airplanes with uh, where the trip has had a lot of, oh, what is it called? Turbulence. That's it. I can't think of that word. Yeah, you're right. Turbulence. It's bumping around all the time. And and I had turbulence in a small airplane one time that maybe fit like 50 people. And that was really unpleasant. I don't know. I don't like roller coasters and you're kind of being bumped around. Sort of a similar experience as far as that goes. Like your heart's about to leap out of your stomach, but out of all these, um, yeah, all these actors were famous at the time in airport. Although I don't recognize that many of them, like Burt Lancaster, I recognize Dean Martin, I recognize. And he is in full Dean Martin mode. He's oh, yeah. just turning on the charm. Yeah, he's a he's a swinging airline captain. And uh, I mean that's a that's a real thing too. Apparently, the whole thing with airline captains and stewardesses having flames on their days off in the different cities. Oh, no, I mean, it, 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 it makes sense. I've got means, motive, and opportunity all, all through there, and I, and I, I like the movies completely up front with that. Although, because I'm trying to remember when airline policies change, but I know with, like, TWA and some other airlines, they had, like, really – they. Uh, they had really strict age requirements for their their flight attendants, and in many cases, you could not get a job as a flight attendant if you were married. Hmm, that's it was just outright company policy. They did not want attached women. Well, the whole thing about in the film with uh, Dean Martin's character of uh, Vernon Demarest as the airline captain, kind of chasing skirts with the 
stewardesses reminds me a lot of um in some ways of of what happens at the beginning of the Denzel Washington movie Flight from a year ago. Mm. So that sort same sort of not the it's not the exact same sort of thing, but it's one of the opening scenes of the film. There's a drunken crazy night out before the airline pilot goes flying with him and a few of the stewardesses. Yeah, airport takes its time, but out of those characters like in the film, what's a, a character that you really grew to love? Well, I gotta say, I actually got attached to most of these characters. This film did a great job of of making me care about these people. Uh, even like uh, like I really really wanted to see Miss Quonset fall and fall hard, <laughs> but like I was just like I was really just in the mood to see her get her comeuppance. Uh, and to the point where I, I was about ready to just outright despise her, and in my head she was about to become the villain of this film. But then she gets a nice, you know, she gets a, a nice uh, chance for redemption uh, towards the end. I, I was like the guy. I forget. I forget his name, but that um, that uh, assistant. The, that young blonde guy who kind of has to guard her to keep her from sneaking onto a flight. The moment he showed up, all I could think of was, hey, it's Kenneth the Page from 30 Rock. I really liked him. I just wish he had some kind of victory. He was just so put upon the entire film. He doesn't get a payoff. I mean, watching this, one thing that stuck out to me is the film's practically two and a half hours long. Oh, yeah. It's not short by any means, and that part of the advantage of that length is you can... It takes time setting up the characters. And well, it feels like they put absolutely everything from the novel into this movie. Uh, I haven't read the novel, so I, I can't say that for sure. But certainly, yeah, it's very close from uh, the beginning of the novel, at least. So, And you think of disaster movies. The disaster stuff that happens in this first airport film isn't that much of a disaster. Well, it would be a horrifying... Well, well, I guess keep in mind when this was made... Flying still has a little bit of a mystique around it. Uh, you oh, know, sure, it's, yeah. Uh, again, it's a pleasurable experience. You're you're not in the you're not traveling in a cattle car with wings in this era. Um, you know, there's a there's a real sort of aura of class and respectability around the whole endeavor of aviation. Uh, and so, like, so this is you know the the kind of crises they face is a real departure. But you got to understand, everyone's life is on the line because you've got the crisis. I guess we'll break down the plot next, but you've got the crisis of the bomb on yeah. the airplane and what structural damage that could do. But then you also have the crisis of the blocked runway, and that plane's got to come in for a landing. And if that runway's not blocked, there's going to be a – if they don't remove that blockage, then they might as well just be landing that plane into a brick wall for all the good it's going to do. I mean, everyone on that plane, their life is at risk. Yeah, I mean, again, like it's – but it's like it's not like the, the – most of the film is them in crisis. It takes a oh, while no. for the plane to take off, and then the plane's in the air for quite some time. When uh, uh, the shit hit the, hits the fan. About an hour or so. It's about an hour before it takes off, and then it's probably another 30 minutes or so before... It's an, it's an hour and 12 minutes before it takes off, and then it's it's in the air, I think, for about 47 to 50 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So, it's... um, but yeah, As far as some of these characters, I really felt bad for um, the airport manager, uh, Mel Bakersfield, played by Burt Lancaster... Because he's a man that loves his job, he's devoted to his career, but it's at the expense of his family and his 
wife is sort of henpecking him the whole time. And he's like, well, this is my job. I'm the airport manager. I have to be here. That's true. Well, that's something else I liked about this film. Everyone who works at the airport is doing their job to the best of their ability and is just doing every damn thing they can to make things work. And and I I love I really I really like that that, that you know everybody in this movie is a passionate professional and and yet they still butt heads, which is something that happens in that kind of environment. Well, and there's characters that have affairs too. I thought that was sort of interesting how that's treated oh. somewhat casually. It's not. And I mean, this film is rated G. Uh, and yet there's a, a conversation about abortion in it. Well, you know, I think the 1970s really was the golden age of the abortion subplot. Not, <laughs> you know, I mean, remember, we, we had that in Escape from the Planet of the Apes. We're having that here. Although, you, yeah. you know, you'll note they never use the word abortion. They just refer to the procedure. Right, we can get that taken care of, you know. Right. Yeah, you can get that taken care of. Mm-hmm. Have you thought? Has she thought about the procedure? And it's all, it's all kind of discussed in a very sanitized, very roundabout way. Although at the same time, I'm glad they I'm glad they break it up. I can't think of like th- thinking about it. I th- I think like since the '80s, I think I've only ever come across two movies where a, a character gets pregnant and abortion is discussed at all. One being uh, The Fly with Jeff Goldblum, and the other being Toxic Avenger Four, Citizen Toxie. And it's so strange because it's it's a it's a conversation that happens a lot in real life, and yet modern movies just stay so far away from it, even when it would make sense to have the characters bring it up on on some level. Uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, a character has an abortion. Have you seen that one? You might not have seen. You know, I don't. I don't think I have. Oh, I think you'd like it, but um, it's a teen comedy from the eighties. But anyway, a character actually has an abortion in that one, and then uh, the boyfriend stiffs her for the bill. But that's a it's a great film, but you know, not a film with a sequel in it. We're talking about the original Airport here on the uh, sequel cast. The sequel cast. Char- the character I wish would have had a bit more meat to him, and his motivation I think is very strange. And I wouldn't really call him a villain, really, but he's a guy with the bomb on the plane. Guerrero, uh, played oh, by yeah. Van Heflin, and this was his final film role, as it turned out. Well, to to an extent, I I kind I you know I kind of like him. He's a person. He's 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 in a dark place. He desperately wants to do the right thing, but he's in such a dark place that the only right thing he thinks he can do is just phenomenally dangerous. You know, where he you know, he he wants he he. He wants his wife to. He wants his wife to be financially stable, and so he comes up with a scheme by which he's going to get all this. He's going to get all this insurance, then blow up the plane he's on, uh, and then she will collect. You know, she will collect the insurance the policy. Yeah, but why does he have to do it on a plane? Couldn't he have like, <laughs> like maybe it, maybe if it was suicide or something, like they would have overridden the policy. But couldn't he have had made a deal with the friend and tell his friend, hey, if you if you kill me, and no one knows about it, then well, well I think I think you're onto something you because cut of the policy. A lot of I know at the time I don't know what this what it is now, but a lot at the time a lot of insurance policies, if if it was suicide, did not count. You know they they were rendered invalid. I think 
and, and you know, the, I think I, I know why he needs to do why he wants to do, blow up the plane. Because keep in mind, it's an it's an international flight. Yeah. Uh, if he blows up that plane and it goes down over international waters, it's going to make it that much harder to investigate and that much harder to prove oh, insurance. That's a good point. I mean, that's something they don't really discuss in the movie very much. Well, I th- I don't think they need to because like I thought of that immediately. Like I think all the clues are there to figure out why this was his plan. Although I got to say, when you see him in his apartment building his bomb, <laughs> is that not the most cartoonish bomb? It's just like three sticks of dynamite and a battery. It's like sticks of dynamite, a battery. You have some uh, some hair clips in there, and he's like constantly darting his eyes around. He's kind of the- and even they they have a bit to their credit. When he's trying to bring the baggage in, he kind of takes it away from the uh, lady at the front counter and always holds the, the suitcase right on his lap, which that's something else you couldn't do now with, air, oh. with the size restrictions. Yeah, he's like such a, he's like the most suspicious and conspicuous guy getting on that plane. And what I even love is even one of the airport, uh, senior airport personnel sees him and is kind of like weirded out by him getting on the plane, clutching that suitcase to the point where he's telling another airport staff member about that. Yeah. Then we cut to a lot of business on the airplane. Then we cut back to him in the commissary like 20 minutes later, and he's still having that same conversation <laughs> about the suspicious guy with the attache case. Sure. And, you know, the whole point of the people in the airplane, they're like, well, you know, if he doesn't do anything, let him catch him when the airplane lands. Well, because they think he's smuggling, because there's that whole thing with that. Was it is, was it Betty Davis? Or somebody who's who's like trying to smuggle jewelry in from from uh, from Europe. Well, because that's the other thing is like I feel like I'm seeing a complete tutorial on how to smuggle because she's got like fake labels put on smuggled furs and she's also got uh, uh, like uh, a diamond bracelet or necklace uh, taped to the inside of her dog's collar. Like really clever stuff. Even though Helen Hayes won the Oscar for as supporting actress for her part is Ada Quonset. And that that strikes me as like the most cartoonish thing about the film. Oh, it's this little old lady, but she's going to, she doesn't pay for airline tickets because they're too expensive. So she just sneaks on an airplane every time. And well, she, yeah, she, she, she's a stowaway. She has all these, and that's the other thing. You learn how to sneak on a plane. You go like beat by beat. They just break down all of her cons. Like, like for instance, she has a, she has a man's wallet she always carries with her. She'll claim that her son dropped his wallet. Can she bring it to him on the plane? On the of plane, course you yeah. can, Miss Quonset. Or you know the or like the fake or like the empty boarding pass envelope because they never check on the plane. You just show up late enough that you're in a hurry. They will just see that you have an envelope, but assume you're supposed to be on. <laughs> it's a weird. I mean, oh, at that yeah. lounge they take her to when they're interrogating her when they find out that oh, she's the one who's yeah. going away, and it's like it's like a lounge with like a fireplace. <laughs> yeah, and it's like a ten-minute dialogue scene, and they keep on going on and on and on, and it's like. But you know what? I like this dialogue. It strikes a nice – like all throughout the movie, I like the dialogue because it strikes a nice balance between being snappy and being realistic. Well, I think my favorite scene, and I would love to do this as a one-act play, is when Dean Martin is in the flat with the stewardess. Yeah. And he's basically like trying to have sex with her and is describing his blue balls using aviation terminology. But it's like 
I'm in drive. You threw me in reverse, and I'm about to. Yeah, if you if you, if you throw me in reverse, it damages the whole apparatus or whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> just, but of course, with with the Dean Martin charm, you'll damage the whole apparatus. I think Dean Martin is okay in this movie. Like, I don't know. It's sort of. Well, I don't quite buy him as a a pilot, but I buy him as an as a big name actor playing a pilot. Like I love seeing it. They probably could have found someone better for this role, but I love that the role is being filled by Dean Martin. To, to the point where, like, I almost want there to be a cameo with Jerry Lewis. Like, ain't that your old co-pilot? <laughs> see Jerry Lewis kind of flail by. Well, hey, in the plane. Yeah, I mean, these films just get more packed with famous actors as they go on, or at least more actors that I recognize, as we'll discuss in the sequels. Um, I think before we talk more about Airport, let's take a minute to talk about what you can find at sequelcast.com. Oh. So at sequelcast.com, you can check out all the old episodes of the Sequelcast uh, podcast or check out other shows in the Sequelcast network, such as Sequel Commentary, Sequelcast Special, and Video Game Sequelcast. And not only that, if you can, there's a donate button. You can click on that to uh, donate via PayPal or just go to sequelcast.com slash donate. You can also hear Sequelcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. It's an app for your uh, smartphone, or you can also listen to it on your computer, where you can listen to podcasts streaming on the go. That's right. You don't have to wait for your podcast to download. Just get uh, it from Stitcher.com. And if you get the app from Stitcher.com slash SequelCast, SequelCast gets automatically added as one of your favorites. You can also buy merchandise at uh, CafePress.com slash SequelCast, such as buttons, t-shirts, whiskey flasks, all that fun stuff. Sequel thongs? Sequel thongs? No, no sequel thongs, sadly. Oh. But if you want to, uh, you know, watch a movie that we're talking about, you can rent it as a Amazon uh, digital rental on Amazon Instant Video. We have links for that at SequelCast.com on the right there, and they're usually about one ninety nine or two ninety nine a piece. It's a pretty uh, reasonable price for a rental if you want to see what we're talking about. And um, as I mentioned before, we're part of the Battleship Retention Podcast fleet. We have links to some of the other shows on the Battleship Retention fleet on there, such as Battleship Retention, the Arturcast, uh, previously on, and... What the fuck what you the watching? What the fuck you watching, right. So... Which, actually, I backed... Uh, I, uh, on the way to my family's reunion in the Outer Banks, I listened to, back-to-back, the Battleship Retention episode about Zack Snyder and their episode about Man of Steel. Fantastic episodes. So what did you think about their appraisal of... Uh, well, it was just it was a night it was a it is a nice it was a nice intelligent discussion about the man and his work uh certainly m- much more of an intelligent uh, discussion about his work than i've heard from than, than i than i've heard from most people uh jackson zack snyder is such a polarizing figure in modern film that i find whenever he gets brought up i'm either listening to super fans who are completely unreasonable or haters who are completely unreasonable, but they had a very nice, just honest critique on his body of work. I thought it was a very fair discussion. Um, another good way to get in contact with us is on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash sequel cast. We're posting new stuff on there all the time. And of course, at SequelCast on Twitter. Yes, at SequelCast on Twitter is me, Matt, and you, Thrasher, are at Internet Mayor. Indeed, I am on Twitter. Plug, 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 plug. Okay, back to our discussion on Airport from 1970, the first film in a four-film series. Believe it or not, it's uh, funny watching this, and I can't wait till we cover the airplane films in a few weeks. 
that's going to be fantastic. I think watching them after watching all the airport stuff, we'll be able to pick up on a lot of jokes. Well, you know, that's the the funny thing is, you know, air, airplane is one of my favorite movies, and watching airport, I the, this film takes itself so seriously most of the time right. that I kept waiting for it to break into. I kept waiting for it to turn into airplane and just start having gags show up in the middle of every scene. You have a few gags. There's a part where everyone is screaming on the airplane, and uh, this one guy is going hysterical, and a priest. Um, you know, a priest does, crosses does, himself, crosses and at himself, the end of the cross, punches the guy. Punches the guy. I mean, that could have been something that could have been an airplane. Well, that, that, that's the thing. It was. It but was so it is totally serious. It yeah. felt like it was from another movie. Like the comic relief part, the only comic relief parts I felt that actually worked was Mrs. Quonset because she is kind of a shifty, wily old old woman. And all of her comedic moments seemed like natural expressions of the character. The, the priest crossing himself and punching the guy was just such shtick. It felt like it belonged in a different movie. Well, you also have such uh, crazy business going on where it's a family and they have a son who's like a smart know-it-all oh god i have several notes about him okay what about him well he's just he's just the they are by default like the very first scene where you see them i just immediately wrote down that they are the most annoying family on the plane i think the actor playing the son looks too old yeah he looks like he's in his 30s looks like he's in his 30s it looks like he's supposed to be like the way he's written, it seems like he's supposed to be like 10 or 11 or something. He's like, I can tell by the movement of the plane that we're turning around. Why is this happening, Captain? Oh, ho, ho. You're so smart, kid. And to uh, the point, and the thing is, like, they really play it up because he's got the thick glasses and he talks in that, like, boy genius way, like, fake boy genius way that no yeah. one really talks like. And and just and even then, like when it kind of comes full circle at the end, when when Dean Martin makes a fake announcement over the PA with all this technical jargon, and the father asks the kid what it means, and he's like, "I'll tell you later, father." Uh, well, speaking of all that, let's get into our discussion of the actual, um, you know, of sort of the climax of the film, the disaster part of the report, yeah. where. Guerrero, with his obvious, oh, and the audience knows it because they reveal it really early. It would have been nice if that would have been a surprise or something. I don't know. But, I liked. I liked that it was laid in early because it because the movie took its time. I really felt some building suspense. It's nice. There's a bit of drama with his wife, really concerned for her safety, and she's at the airport, kind of hysterical. Yeah, and in fact, that's and she it. Gets she there too figures late. out what his pl- what his plan is yes. and goes to the airport. To try to stop it, although honestly, she could have tried to stop it much earlier. What is it that they that? What's the announcement? Because he they create a bit of a ruckus on the plane to try and steal the suitcase from him. Yeah, well, when they realize the suitcase is there, they bring they they realize they have to get the suitcase away from him, and they can't tip him off that they know because he might he might detonate the explosive. So they bring Mrs. Quonset up front, and they basically tell her, "Okay, you've been defrauding the airline." If you agree to help us and be a hero, you know your flights are taken care of for the rest of your life. Because they, they basically they need they need her they need her help to make a scene so that they can create a distraction where they can grab the suitcase. And part of it, you know, part of this whole distraction is Dean Martin gets on the PA and announces all this kind of fake technical jargon. You know, we are having a realignment of the rotor sprockets, and so we're going to be heading southwest now. And 
so so anyway, so Miss Quonset, you know, she's in her she's in her seat next to the guy with the bomb and that businessman who keeps buying her drinks. And the British stewardess goes back there and basically calls her out on not having a ticket and is like, really, no, ma'am, you're a stowaway and really plays it up. And Miss Quonset like pretends to panic. And then she really slaps her. Yeah. Like the stewardess just like I, I certainly hope that they that they coordinated that with Miss Quonset before this freak out because the stewardess just whap right across the face and like pre- really kind of almost starts a mini riot in the back of the plane. But in that chaos, somebody does get the briefcase away from him. But then when people start to continue the chaos, he gets the briefcase back. And is in the back of the plane and is, you know, making threats. And they're in a perfect position to talk him down. And then there's a guy who is in the bathroom who, who comes out of the bathroom and is right behind the guy with the suitcase. And, of course, a jackass goes, get him. He's got a bomb. <laughs> and so the guy from the bathroom tries to tackle him. There's a tussle. The Guerrero jumps into the bathroom and detonates the explosive, gets sucked out. Uh and uh, it's actually a very mild explosive. Yeah, although, I mean, once they shut off... possibly kind of realistic. Although I can't say the decompression is realistic, because at the speed they're traveling and high, how, how high in the air they are, like, I, like, they seem to solve the decompression issue by closing the bathroom door. Basically, I mean, the door isn't sucked through the hole or anything. They don't try and... They don't have anything to stop it with. They You do see some stuff getting sucked out, but... I'm not well, sure why he jumps in the bathroom, though. Can't he just jump around? I, I mean, can't he just, like, wouldn't he want to throw himself in the middle of the crowd? To try and well, well, I guess he's not vindictive. No, no, no. Two, two, well, two reasons. Yeah. One, to make the pyrotechnic special effect work, he has to be in that enclosed space. But two, he's trying to bring that plane down. He needs to cause structural damage. If he detonates the explosive in the middle of the aisle, he'll he'll injure, possibly even kill some people, but the explosion's dispersed in the core of the plane and there's no structural damage. He has to do it close enough to a, to a critical part of the hull that he can cause a full breach. Hmm. And the easiest place to get to where he can press that suitcase against the hull is uh, is the restroom. But you know what I loved, actually? I love that scene where all of the airport specialists and engineers are sitting around that model of the airplane discussing what would – discussing various scenarios by which the explosive could detonate and what it might do to the plane. And I really felt like it really helped build the sense of danger, and I do feel that for the most part, their promises of the level of destruction were paid off. Yeah, and you do get the suspense of they got a – the plane is turned back around and they got to land it okay. And meanwhile, there's a plane that early on in the film got stuck in the runway because there's all the, there's a big snowstorm. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it came off it like it got stuck halfway off the off the runway because it got a wheel. It's real real stuck in a rear wheels stuck in a uh, uh, a snowbank. And it's kind of funny because they they concentrate on that just enough in the beginning that I'm like, well, wait a minute, is the whole crisis people are going to be late because they're in a plane stuck in the snow? I was glad that it paid off later when that same plane was blocking the only runway that the uh, the main plane could get onto. Although I did notice, like, why didn't they just start shoveling snow immediately or start throwing down salt on the runway? I mean, maybe there's a technical reason why, but you know. Oh, hey, you know what I like? Dean Martin, classy Dean Martin, smoking 
Or not uh, smoking a pipe in the cockpit and his co-pilot. One thing I liked, I didn't recognize the actor at the time, but I had to look him up afterwards. The actor that plays Joe Petroni, the chief mechanic, is George so cool. Kennedy, who also played uh, the part of Captain Ed Hawken in the Naked Gun films. Which I love. Like, I love that there's a connection to the Zucker movies right there. Yep. And in fact, he was an Academy Award winner at the time he did Airport, because he won an Oscar a few years before for uh, Best Supporting Actor playing the convict dragline in Cool Hand Luke. Cool. So, Just shaking the bushes, boss. So I think we've had a pretty good discussion here about this first airport film. What um, you, uh, oh, yeah. you know, uh, I've got a couple, just a couple of stray comments in sure. my notes, though. Uh, one where they make the, 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 the thing about, like, I just haven't, because they make a note when he's, like, talking where, where, uh, the guy with the bomb is is getting his insurance policy and is trying to make an excuse for why he doesn't have so much cash on him. And he's like, "Oh, this is mostly lira." As like, "Oh, we can uh, we can we can accept liras." Oh, I only have lira in large bills, and I just wrote down lira in large bills. Ah ha ha! I don't know. If, I don't know if you've seen lira. I have not. But it's like several thousand lira is five bucks. Oh, okay. I went, to, I went to Italy once, and that was a thing I really had to wrap my head around, was that every, everything, like, they, they didn't have, like, dollars and cents. It was just the lira, and it was just, like, it was all huge denominations. Oh, and also the other thing that I really noticed, I love that, like, no one uses the word kooks anymore. No, they don't. But, like, the, the word kooks gets thrown around a lot in this movie, as does the word penguin. Dean Martin insults people by calling them penguins several times in this movie. I enjoyed how uh, Dean Martin's character sticks with the stewardess he knocks up. He doesn't abandon her. But, he, but like, that's the thing is, like, that they, they never mention his wife ever again. No, no, they don't. Sort of a throwaway. Which I kind of feel, because I feel like the story's only half told. I really want to know what, what happens with him and his wife. Does he somehow find a way to live a kind of double life with the stewardess he impregnated? Or is there a divorce? I mean, like, we're, on, we're only getting half the story. Well, and then what about the story about the um, Burt Lancaster as the airport manager and his affair? And he kind of drives off with her at the end. With uh, Tanya Livingston, the customer relations agent. Yeah, that's. I guess. That, I guess that there seems to be an undercurrent of men leaving their wives in this movie. Although, in the case of his, although I, 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 I will admit, I do, I do honestly think that he should probably divorce his wife. I just don't think they're compatible people. Oh, you know what else was another nice touch? I love that there was an aviation Snoopy in the control tower. Did you notice that? No. Yeah, there is a Snoopy doll with aviator goggles that's uh, up on top of uh, one of the uh, radar consoles. You can see it in the background of most of the control tower scenes. Mm. Oh, and also, the guy who did the airport announcements at the very end of the movie when everybody gets off of the plane after the emergency landing, I cannot find confirmation of this anywhere, but I pretty damn sure that that's Paul Fries, the voice of Ludwig von Drake and Boris Badenov. It could be. I have no idea. So with that in mind, what would you rate Airport out of five stars? You know, when I first, when I first watched it, I would have given it, uh, for, for this episode, I would have given it a three. 
I'm going to give it a four. Upon oh. reflection, I really enjoyed the experience of seeing this film. I give Airport three out of five stars. I think it is charming, but I don't know. I think of a disaster movie should have a bit more action, a bit more excitement in it. And I understand we're going to get that more in the later installments. Well, I'm going to say I don't think it's a disaster movie. I think it's no? I think it's just a drama. Just a drama it happens to take place on an airplane where where there's a crisis. Interesting. That's a pretty good point. Uh, so why don't we? It would later morph into disaster films. That's true. Uh, so why don't we pitch a sequel? This is a segment uh, in which we all right pretend no sequels to this film, in this case, Airport ever existed, and so we make up what happens next for pitching the idea for another film. Do you have something in mind, Thrasher? Uh, yes. My, mine would be another drama, but it wouldn't be... It, it wouldn't take place at the, at the airport so much. It would be The Two Mrs. Demarists, where it would be a, it would be a courtroom drama all about the proceedings when, with Dean Martin, his wife, and the... Uh, and the British stewardess, which it turns out, between this the airport and the two Mrs. Demarest, he marries her, but he marries her overseas, and it turns into a huge court case over which which of his marriages is really valid, which woman, which family he's really going to spend the rest of his life with, and it could affect his. And of course, it could also affect you know his his career. You know, the airline doesn't want to the airline he works for. He's a he's a damn good pilot, but they don't want to be saddled with a polygamy scandal. Hmm. And, but to make sure there is an element of danger, there is going to be a uh, there's going to be this kind of rogue uh, sort of political uh, activist who's going to try to take a judge in the courtroom hostage. And so Dean Martin will get a chance to be a hero, and hopefully we'll have that whole romantic triangle with uh, his first wife and his second wife reconciled. And several characters from uh, Airport will be brought in as character witnesses in the trial. How about you? Mine would be Airport 2, the takeoff. <laughs> I like it. And it'd be about a uh, an airplane with a whole new cast of characters, except the one returning character would be the uh, the wife of Guerrero, played by Maureen Stapleton. And, you know, she's grieved over her husband killing herself or killing himself. And she figures, you know, it, it's not I couldn't have done anything, but the people in the airplane could have done could have kept my husband from killing himself. So to get revenge, I am going to uh, set off the bomb on the airplane. So it's about the wife of Guerrero with an explosive in her undergarments on the plane. <laughs> Okay. And she tries to kill herself and she's trying to get revenge and you're going to and but it would be new captain, new people on the airplane except um for her the same returning character. It's suspense cuz you know she has explosive undergarments but the people on the plane does not. She she packed them full of some hot stuff there. She packed them full of some hot stuff. You might even call it very hot stuff. All right, so... Let's see. Um, let's talk about some sequel news. If you go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast, we have some news about um, movie sequels in development. Why don't we talk about a little bit of that right now? 
what is a, a piece of sequel news that you find interesting, Thrasher? Well, not well. I guess it's not so much news as in uh, some, and and for, I generally just just because. I'd like to wait to see the movie. I kind of try to avoid spoiler stuff. So this may have already come out, but uh, there's a poster for the next Spider-Man movie uh, that's come out. And apparently Electro is blue and veiny. Yes. Which, I mean, maybe, maybe it'll come up in the film, but that just seems, that seems kind of a, I don't know. Like if if you're going to, I I just, I guess I, I, I don't want to see an actor buried under makeup. I think they're trying to make him look like how Electro did in the uh, Ultimate Spider-Man comic book. Well, I guess I guess they are because like you know the Ultimates was kind of born out of the success of the original Spider-Man, and I can see why they might want to keep that in sync. But I don't it, know. It just, just seems like the look of it you J- don't like. J- Jamie Fox has just proven to be such a, a a good actor. I don't want to see I don't want to see him lost under makeup. I want to see him. I just, I just, you know, I want to see him act. You know, you don't have to be blue and veiny to have electrical, electrical powers. Have you heard about some of the other villains in the film? Well, supposedly Paul Giamatti yep. is uh, the rhino. Yep. That which could true. be cool. I guess it's all, it's all uh, CGI at, at some point. I think so. There hasn't. There's been some pictures on the set, but you're right. You can't really tell what they're going to do with it. Um, I, I really wish they would work Sinestro into, uh, or no, sorry, not Sinestro, uh, Mysterio into one of these films. You think they would change how Mysterio looks like, though, with the well? I mean, you could dome on his head. Well, I mean, you you could keep that, but it you I, I would assume they would scale it back, like uh, you know, make it more like a helmet, like a, a you know a reflective helmet that he could project holograms out of, or do augmented reality with. I mean, they've done they've done a good job. Most of the Marvel movies, they've done a really good job of taking these impractical costumes that look great on the page and turning them into something that a character can actually wear and function in. So I would, I would trust them to take the core of that costume and turn it into something pretty cool. Hmm. Li- likewise, I kind of wish they had done that with Electro. I think they could have taken the traditional ele- Electro costume and kind of morphed it into something that, that would make sense as a suit someone would wear. Yeah, we'll have to see. I just hope if there's a lot of villains, they they balance them in the film appropriately. Yeah, True. I mean, I I really don't want them to fall because, like, the last Spider-Man film really fell into the Batman trap of loading in too many villains in one movie, and what, I'm already Spider-Man? feeling like this new Spider-Man movie is going to have the too many villains problem. The last one just had the lizard in it. Yeah, but I'm talking about the the one that's coming up. Too many villains. Oh, the one coming up. Yeah. Um, a trailer recently came out for the direct-to-video um, latest Child's Play film called Curse of Chucky. I've seen that. Uh, well, I, I've seen that it's come out. I have not seen the trailer. I kind of want to, though. You know, it looks like they do some CG stuff with the face, but sometimes it looks like it's not. So, uh, But yeah, I... it, it looks like they're going for more scary as far as the tone goes. Well, that'll be nice, although I really do. I want some classic puppetry there. I think we'll probably get a mix. It's uh, it comes out in October 2013, so I think it might get a very limited theatrical release, but I'm not positive on that. But one thing that's neat is Brad Dourif voices Chucky as always, and his daughter Good. plays the female lead in the film. Oh, interesting. So, but I think um, I don't believe the film has the uh, the female character in it. 
Oh, the the Chucky girlfriend that had the yeah, Chucky baby. Right, from Bride of Chucky and Seed of Chucky. <laughs> they they couldn't afford Jennifer Tilly. Right, yeah. I don't know if it's supposed to be a different timeline. Not that it matters that much with uh, Child's Play, but... Well, I like the idea of there being Child's Play continuity walks. I believe it is firmly established in Child's Play 2 that the series takes place at the following time scale. And, uh... Yeah, I don't know, but we'll have to... We'll just have to see. I'm very curious. You know, one thing about all those Child's Play films is Don Mancini wrote the scripts for all of them. He got written on a few of them, but this uh, new one, Curse of Chucky, is directed by him, and he directed... The only other one he directed was a Seed of Chucky. So we'll just have to see. For more sequel news, you can check out facebook.com slash sequelcast. It's about time that series reinvented itself. And I guess in the it's next one, while, Chucky yeah. will... Chucky will team up and or fight some other horror movie franchise character like Michael Myers or something. Mm, the thing I'm confused about is a while ago they were talking about doing like a, a remake of the first film that was more scary. Yeah, there but, was one in development. For mm-hmm, but this one is like a new story. So I don't know if they're still going to try and do an eventual complete reboot. But yeah, I, I miss the character of Chucky. It'll be good to see him in a movie again. I hope the movie is enjoyable. Curse of Chucky. Um... So, Thrasher, what have you been watching? What you watching? Uh, the, I've, I've seen, actually, uh, s- several things. Uh, I, of course, have seen uh, Man of Steel. And you, uh, some people may briefly? have seen the review that I posted to Facebook. You did. You used the word... Uh... Oh, oh, do you want me to read it? Sure, because it, it doesn't spoil anything, does it? It's pretty vague. No, absolutely not. Yeah, go ahead. Read your Man of Steel so, review. Here's my review of Man of Steel. Today I saw a movie directed by a giant flaring cockhead about a giant flaring cockhead from a planet of giant flaring cockheads raised by two giant flaring cockheads from Kansas. The giant flaring cockhead spends most of his time pretending he's not a giant flaring cockhead. This has all changed when a giant flaring cockhead from the beginning of the movie that the movie had forgotten about showed up leading an army of giant flaring cockheads. Lots of giant flaring cockheads had a fight. The main giant flaring cockhead of the movie was about to let other people do his job, then snapped the other giant flaring cockhead's neck. Then we were treated to a flashback of the main giant flaring cockhead as a kid pretending to be the giant flaring cockhead that just spent nearly three hours boring me with his giant flaring cockheadedness. Merry Christmas. That is my review of Man of Steel. So you like it, I take it. Do you know, did you notice how much phallic imagery was on Krypton? You know, I only really noticed it in this, in this wide shot of the spaceships uh, with the, the bad guys in it taking off. The, the it's it's like it's like dildos complete with testicles blasting off into space. But also, do you notice Jor-El's laboratory? It's a goddamn cock. I did not notice that. No, they they land they they land on the the little flap of skin that connects the base of your head to your foreskin. That's what they land on. It's goddamn. Like, it, it's like a bad joke. It's like, you know what people like about about H.R. Geezer's designs for aliens? All the penises. Let's do lots of penises. <laughs> That's what people like. Uh, on, the, uh, on the other hand, I did see uh, Monsters University. Uh, that was a wonderful movie. Completely washed the taste of Man of Steel out of my brain. 
Do you think with Monsters University it helps if you had seen Monsters Incorporated recently? You know what? I would say you could um, – well, there's lots of gags at the end of the movie that won't make sense unless you've seen Monsters, Inc. But you could actually see Monsters University first, and it would make perfect sense. Yeah, I have not seen the Monsters University yet. I did see Monsters, Inc. when it was a theater, but I haven't um, seen it since then. It's a good movie. It still holds up. But I, I just – it's and it's just such a – and also just the story of Monsters University is just a story you never see in a movie. Like they 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 make you think that it's going to be a story about college hijinks and you know success and whatnot, but that's all a, that's all a cover for what that movie is really about. It's amazing. And there's some great homages to horror movies towards the end. I mean there are homages all the way through, but they they do like they, towards the end of the movie, there's just a great scene where they, for all intents and purposes, do Pixar's version of the evil dead. It is so cool. So do you think that is one of the better things Pixar has done lately or? Oh yeah. I mean, it's cer- it's certainly better than cars Two. Uh, not quite as good as toy story three, but it's a wonderful movie. It's, it's, it's one of the few sequels that I think should, that I'm, it's one of the few sequels that I'm glad got made. And looking like back, it, I think should have been made. Do you think it's better than Monsters Inc.? It's not better than Monsters Inc., but it's very, very good. Okay, I might have to check that out when it comes uh, out on video. And I got to see uh, a Disney film I'd never seen before, Lilo and Stitch. Oh, isn't that great? That, that was pretty fun. And it, the, I guess the, the like I really enjoyed that movie, and it it signaled such a great renaissance for Disney, which Renaissance then smothered in its own crib. Yeah, it had I mean, finally figured out how to make an, big big animated features relevant again, and then decided to close down its animated features department and most of its two D and it's like its two D animation department in general. They did a few films after that one, but. They weren't good. No, no. Uh, I liked in Lilo and Stitch. I was a bit surprised in the beginning how much science fiction it is with the aliens talking. Which was a nice, a, a nice that, that actually like because I because like seeing the the trailers, I'm like, oh, this movie has monsters in it. I was not expecting a serious science fiction angle. Right. I mean, you know, I knew the film take place in Hawaii, but you don't even get there until after the first like ten minutes or so. Oh yeah. So and once I thought it was nice that the um, the main family in it was sort of flawed, and it was the sort of the broken family with the the older sister raising the younger sister. Well, they were broken. Their parents were dead. Well, broken. It's and not that like they weren't a complete. You know, they're they're not a. It's not a whole family unit. Yeah, because their parents died in a car crash, but you have the the stress of, or her the older uh, sister trying to keep the job and trying to watch the kid and meanwhile the state services are trying to look over at DHS is uh, trying to come and check on them and everything yep and I just think the way it it was just surprisingly satisfying you didn't have a lot of like extra characters you didn't I didn't think the humor was was too stupid and I like that Stitch didn't really talk English very much or when he did it was very brief yeah, I like that. I like that he 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 didn't have they 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 really took advantage of the lack of dialogue he had. Yeah, I mean he still has a lot of personality. He's he destroys things 
constantly, and yet... Well, he's he's hungry. <laughs> he is hungry. Uh, however, don't watch the animated series. What's so bad about the animated series? It's, not... It is terrible in every way. Poor animation, poor writing, uh... A, a real kind of they, they take this wonderful this wonderful self-contained movie and then turn it into a really shitty monster of the week it's you know ca- character development is undone for the sake of making the series work it's just not good at all okay i'll have to keep that in mind the, there is a wedding episode that's kind of serves as a kids in the hall reunion that's kind of fun if you're a fan of the kids in the hall but other than that stay away from the series so, uh, tune in next week on the sequel cast, where you can hear us talk about the next film in the series, Airport 1975. Which is something we talk about. We like. I love that the it, they don't use standard sequel numbering. It's the year it's the, the year movie came, came out. out. Right. And uh, we're going to have a special guest on for next week. It is going to be Dr. West Anthony of the Arturo nice. cast. Nice. So, and he, in fact, he's the one that suggested we do Airport in the first place. And it's a, that's such a refreshing idea, and considering we've done Harry Potter and Star Wars, which those are all fine, but it's nice to do something that's not so, not fantasy or science fiction. Take a little break from that, you know? Very nice. I wouldn't call Airport realistic, but... Well, it, well, it doesn't fit into what other people would call genres which i think is i think it's so ridiculous to call something a genre film everything is a genre it's all about how you mentally pigeonhole i mean people use the phrase genre film to mean like horror or science fiction or fantasy i guess but i'm not sure well they they mean it they they use it to mean anything that will never win an oscar yeah that's a good way to put it or Golden Globe, because best comedy is the same category as best musical. Hmm. Or is that the people's choice? One, one of them has just the arbitrary category of, like, best comedy or musical, and musical always wins. I think that's the Golden Globe. That sounds about right. Yeah. For the sequel cast, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying... Why do you tell them penguins on the ground to get that runway clear? If you don't stick her in reverse, it's going to dry out my engine. <laughs> oh, hey, no, no, no. We need to get an optomic surgeon. Which is a phrase they use so many times. It's like the screenwriter learned that, like, that was, optomic surgeon was in his word-a-day calendar. And then he just used it as many times in the screenplay as possible. Do they mean ophthalmic surgeon? Or? Ophthalmic surgeon. Well, it's yeah. whatever, because the stewardess, when, when the bomb goes off, the stewardess gets, like, some splinters in her eye. And they keep making a big deal about how they need an ophthalmic surgeon to to treat her eye. And I think they use that phrase, like, seven or eight times at least. In the same scene. And, like, it's not really needed either. Yeah, and even then, when like when they get when they're getting people on the plane, we got a girl on board. She's got some spinners in her eye. Better get an optomic surgeon. Don't worry, we called an optomic surgeon. He's already on the way with the ambulance. We'll get a transfer. Yeah, it's, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Which is weird because like you would think even in real life, someone would just say get her a doctor. <laughs>